The following message entitled, Life Before the Manger, was given by Joe Ryer on December 22, 2013, at Sovereign Grace Church of Indiana, Pennsylvania. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. Um, today's message is called Life Before the Manger. Life Before the Manger. I don't know about you, but I, I like backstories of movies. I like books and movies that have a good backstory. And the reason I like backstories is because it fills out the actual story. It makes the story itself um, more enjoyable, more fascinating, more amazing at times. I'll give you two examples. Think of the Star Wars series, all six of them. I was born in 1976, so I was around for the first one and watched them ever since. And I was fascinated as a young boy of Luke Skywalker. I wanted to be Luke Skywalker. Um, I had my lightsaber like Luke Skywalker. And it was fascinating. But then to hear the backstory and to learn that Darth Vader once was a Jedi, also trained by Obi-Wan Kenobi, fills out the story a lot more. You feel a lot more of the tension. So backstory helps the main story. Think of Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Part two is out right now. I like The Lord of the Rings just by itself. But when you hear the backstory and you follow Bilbo Baggins on all his journeys and adventures with dwarves and elves, then when he says in Lord of the Rings to Gandalf, I know I don't look old, but I feel it. You get the backstory. This man has, this hobbit has been all over the world and back. Well, backstories matter. And today the emphasis of this Christmas message is going to emphasize the backstory of Jesus. The life before the manger. Before Joseph and Mary looked into their, their baby's eyes as a newborn baby. Before the angel spoke to Mary and informed her that she was going to have Bear the promised son. We're going to look at the backstory. Because I believe when we get the backstory, it will magnify this true account of God becoming man, of Jesus coming to earth. And to help us with the backstory, we're going to go to the book of John. Because John, the apostle, wants us to know the backstory. John himself was a friend of Jesus, he knew Jesus very well. And he's going to tell a first-hand account inspired by the Holy Spirit. So look in your Bibles at John chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 14. This is the backstory. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him, in Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. That all might believe through Him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. 
the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, as we look at John chapter 1, we pray for illumination. We pray we would understand it and be amazed of the truth that's revealed in verses 1 through 14. And primarily that we would have a clearer picture and a greater vision of Jesus. And how incredible it is that Jesus took on human form and came to earth to live and to die for us. And then finally, rising from the dead, conquering sin and death. But we we pray that our joy would be focused and fixed around Jesus this morning. And Lord, I just ask for your help to teach your word. Amen. Life before the manger. John tells us a lot of important details about Jesus' life. None may be more important than what he says in verses 1 and 2. The first point is the baby in the manger had no beginning. If you didn't drink your coffee this morning, you're going to wish you did. The baby in the manger had no beginning. Look at verses 1 and 2. They tell us that Jesus always existed. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And we know that the word Word is another word for Jesus, because in verse 14, John tells us, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. As Christians, we, like all other Christians, we believe in the doctrine of the Trinity. We believe that the Bible teaches that there's one God, and He exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And in verses 1 and 2, John is telling us about God the Father and God the Son. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That language in the beginning is the exact same language that your Bible starts with. So flip over to Genesis 1.1. Genesis 1.1, the very first line of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens, and the earth. So John is intentionally using creation language so that we know the significance that Jesus 
himself was there in the beginning. He had no beginning. A commentator by the name of William Hendrickson says it this way. The gospel, the gospel of John, opens magnificently. It begins by portraying the life of Christ in eternity. Before the world was. So before there was anything, there was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That life was rich and glorious, filled with infinite delight and serene blessedness in the presence of the Father. Once this truth is grasped, the condescending love of Christ in becoming flesh will be appreciated more fully. Once we get our minds around the baby in the manger is the pre-existing Christ who had no beginning, who was never made, then Him becoming man just fills out the meaning. And you begin to see how the great lengths and depths that, that God went to to introduce us to Him. So I know this can be hard to get our minds around, but we, we believe this book. We believe this book is unique. It's a gift from God. And so every word and every detail matters and tells us something we need to know about God. Well, Jesus always existed. And in verses 1 and 2 we learn Jesus was and is fully God. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So we worship and follow and trust in a Savior who has no beginning, who is fully God. Long before there were stars in the sky, long before there was an earth, long before there were galaxies, Jesus was. Jesus existed. And then verse 3, John tells us something Incredible. Jesus made everything. Everything that we can see and everything in the spiritual world that we cannot see. Look at verse 3. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. All things, everything, was made through Jesus. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In other words, everything that was made came through Jesus, was created through Jesus. So Genesis 1 and 2, as, as the creation is, is being made, the connection John's making is Jesus was, was at the point of that creation. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are there and they begin to create. And you can't help but wonder and think about the joy they must have had in creation. So as Jesus is making things, so they get to the stars, and they're throwing these balls of fire in the sky in perfect placement. Then they begin to create planets and galaxies. You can imagine the joy and the fun that day would have been. They make the sky. They make the earth. They begin to fill the earth with creatures. And 
They create out of nothing. So an incredible artist is fun to watch because they create these beautiful sculptures or incredible paintings, but they do with materials. God created out of nothing. So when they get to the animals, think of this. Jesus makes an elephant. Like, wow, that is cool. How would you think of that? This big, long trunk, this huge, massive being. And then a giraffe with this long neck and this little head and these high legs. And then a penguin. And you can just see the creative power and influence of God. As you look around, this is God's world. And it was all made through Jesus Christ himself. Colossians 1, 16 and 17 says this about Jesus. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things Hold together. This backstory matters. Jesus is God. And through him all things were made. Not just visible things, but you know the very angels that filled up the sky to celebrate Jesus coming to earth were made by Jesus. That's why they're so excited. They, they understood what was happening. How magnificent and incredible it was that God was taking on human form. Jesus had no beginning. Jesus is fully God. Jesus is the creator. But John tells us more. Look at verses 4 and 5. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In Jesus was and is life. And that life was the light of men. Jesus is the source of life. He's the one who gives life. He's the life giver. This is primarily referring to spiritual life. If you're here this morning and you're Spiritual life feels empty and barren. Jesus is the answer. He's the life giver. He's the source of life and light. There is no true spiritual life found anywhere in any other religion, philosophy, or person. Jesus is it. If you remember, in the book of John, Jesus is walking through a town, a town that that the Jews usually didn't walk through. But he's walking through it, and he encounters a woman, and they begin to have a discussion. And the woman, as Jesus informs us, was a woman who has had five husbands, and Jesus tells us, the the man you're with is not your husband. Jesus doesn't tell her that to scold her. He tells her that because he has life in store for her. And they're having this discussion about spirituality, And Jesus says the following. It's centered around a well, a literal physical well. She says, are you greater than our father Jacob? 
She's asking Jesus. He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus gives life. He gives spiritual life. Now that's true when we come to Him before we're Christians and we're born again and we're made alive. But it continues to be true our entire Christian lives. One of the the things that's sad to see are Christians who look for life outside of Jesus. Someone who really is a Christian. Who really is born again. But you're searching for happiness and joy and satisfaction in things that are not Jesus. And so there's emptiness and sorrow and disappointment. All the while, Jesus has life for you. And you just have to come back to Him. And He will give you life. Because Jesus is the source of all spiritual life. Not only is the source of life, but He is the light of the world, verse 5 tells us. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is the light of the world. In the book of John, John uses these strong contrasts of light and darkness, of life and death. And he wants us to get the picture that the world, because of sin, because of Adam and Eve's fall, it's dark. Sin has affected the human race. Sin has affected the planet. We have earthquakes. We have tornadoes. We have natural disasters because of sin. We have crimes because of sin. We have marriages falling apart because of sin. We have broken families because of sin. And into this dark world comes Jesus, who is the light of the world. And the incredible thing about the light, just the picture of light, if you've ever been in a cave or in a really dark dark place, even the smallest light lights it up. So Jesus coming to earth, He is bringing light that can never be covered up. Now he, He hasn't returned yet for us like He will one day. So there's still darkness, there's still sin, there's still struggle. But this light, John tells us, cannot be overcome by the darkness. Jesus' light will spread throughout every nook and cranny of the earth. To the darkest places. To the most enslaved people. And He will bring light and hope. Because He is life and He is light. Jesus said this about Himself, John twelve forty six, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in Me may not remain in darkness. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in Me will not remain in darkness. Jesus came to give us light, to rescue us. I can remember the, the first spring that I was a Christian. 
I've enjoyed many springs up to that point. But that spring was different. I used to like to run. And I was jogging as a new Christian. And I just had a new set of eyes to see God's creation. And saw as the trees were coming to life and flowers were beginning to bloom. I just saw it completely different. And now saw it as God's world that He has made that all points up to Him. So we know there is a Creator to be worshipped and adored. Jesus came to rescue those of us who are stumbling around in darkness. Some of you, you're stumbling around in darkness. It may be gross sins that you're enslaved to, or it may be worldly success. And yet when you go to bed, when you wake up, there is emptiness. There is sadness. And there is sorrow. And you, you, you ask these questions, or you think these questions like, there, there has to be something else. There has to be something more than this. I spent my entire life seeking this, and now I have it. And it does not satisfy. Jesus alone is the one who will satisfy. He's the one who brings light to a dark world. John 3.19 says this, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. And so there's this battle. Are we going to choose to follow the things of this world, or are we going to choose to follow the light, to trust in Jesus, the hope of the world? And this is a light that will never be snuffed out, that nothing can cover up. Now John takes a little break and tells us about another man right in the middle of this account. This man was Jesus' cousin John. His mom was Elizabeth. Verse 6 says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light but came to bear witness about the light. The John he's referring to is John the Baptist. John the Baptist who would lose his life for being a witness of this true light. God wants us to get that Jesus is the light and it matters. And so when, when we read that, that John the Baptist was called to be a witness, he was an eyewitness who believed with all his heart that Jesus was the promised deliverer, rescuer, Messiah. He, he eventually had his head chopped off for his faith of being a witness. And John the Baptist, his entire ministry was pleading and appealing to people. He was preparing the way for the Messiah, who happened to be his cousin, Jesus Christ. And John appealed and pleaded because he believed it was true. Jesus is the hope and the light of the world. Verses 9 and 10, just expanding on this idea, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Ever since 
the creation of the world and the fall of Adam and Eve, there have been glimpses of hope in the world. We get those glimpses in the Old Testament. We see glimpses of light and hope through the law given to Moses, through the prophets, through the wisdom literature, through the incredible deliverance acts in the Bible, like God rescuing his people from the Egyptian rule. We see it in these incredible pictures of what seems like Jesus being in the middle of the lion's den or in the middle of the fiery furnace. So there's glimpses and light and hope in the world since Adam and Eve sinned. But it's all culminating in God becoming man and Jesus coming to earth, making this loud, permanent statement that hope has really come to the world and it can never be covered up. Paul says this in Galatians, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Jesus is the true light and hope of the world. There's no greater hope. If you're looking for something else to satisfy, there is nothing that will satisfy like Jesus. It does not exist. Jesus is the hope, which brings us to the second and last point. The baby in the manger is the hope of the world. The baby in the manger in this obscure town with this poor couple, young couple, Joseph and Mary, is the hope of the world. Verse 11 through 14. He, Jesus, came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. They were born of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the hope of the world. And when I say that, I mean the, the biblical idea of hope. A fixed and certain hope. Now we can often use hope in a different way. Like when I was in college, I, I might say, I hope I get an A on this test. And my friends and parents would say, I hope you studied for that test. It's not a, it's not a fixed and certain hope. It's just kind of a, a nice idea. I hope I get a brand new car for Christmas. Well, I'm not getting a brand new car for Christmas. So that, that's a nice idea, but there's nothing certain or fixed about that idea. But when we say Jesus is our hope of salvation, it is a certain and true and fixed reality. If you turn from your sins and put your confidence in Jesus' perfect life, and death as your substitute, and believe that Jesus rose from the dead and conquered sin and death, then that's a real hope. You really are saved. You really do have eternal life. 
you really will be with God forever. It is fixed, it is certain, and it is a reality. If you believe Jesus is your hope that your sins will never be punished, that is a real hope. That is something you can stake your very life on. That every sin, no matter how bad, no matter how many, were all placed upon Jesus when He hung on the cross. And so you have a real hope. Jesus is our hope that we can enter into a relationship with God the Father. Jesus is our hope that we can be adopted as sons and daughters. John tells us in verse 11, says he, he came to his own, but his own people did not receive him. And what he means by that is Jesus was Jewish, and he came to the Jewish people. And some, not all, they didn't believe he was the Messiah. They didn't believe he was the promised rescuer from the Old Testament. Even though he fit the description of Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, they just didn't believe it. They didn't receive him. They didn't submit to him as the Messiah. But John says in verse 12, and this is the good news for us, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. But to all, everyone, no matter your race, ethnicity, background, age, to all who did receive him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. The great hope of Christmas is that God became man. Jesus took on human flesh so that we could be adopted as sons and daughters of God. That we could be family. Think of it this way. It's not that It's not just that our sins are forgiven as Christians. That is great news. That is wonderful news. But that's courtroom news. So when you read the book of Romans, it's all legal. There's a lot of legal terms. And we picture God as the judge. And he's saying that you can be declared righteous because Jesus took your punishment. That's good news. But that's not the same as the family news. Being invited in as a son of or a daughter. A judge could acquit us of wrongdoing, but we're not eating dinner at his house. God set it up so that we could be adopted and welcomed in. We're not business partners with God. We're not soldiers in God's army. We're not employees of God. We are his sons and daughters. Pictured this way, I, I looked this up today, that if you remember the, the famous photo of when, when President Kennedy was sitting behind the Resolute desk and, and John Jr., his son, was playing underneath the desk. So that the, the image is, the picture is, you see John F. Kennedy, President Kennedy, writing at his desk. He's working, and his son is playing underneath the desk. He's family. He has access that no one else has. That's how it is with God. 
We have access to God, not as an employer-employee relationship, not as a soldier and officer relationship, but as a son and a daughter. And so as we're heading to Christmas here in a few days, may you be filled with joy at the reality, if you have trusted in Jesus, you are a daughter, you are a son. You can come boldly to God in a way that the angels cannot come. Because you are family. You think of the the incredible illustration from the Old Testament of Mephibosheth, who was a a crippled man, who, who David later in life looked for. He said, is there anybody that remains from Saul's family? There's one. He's crippled. He, he can't really do anything. He said, have him come to my house and sit at my table and eat my food. And, and David gave him all this land. He invited him as family. Mephibosheth had access to King David in a way that the soldiers did not. Those under him did not. If you have turned and trusted in Jesus, you're family. God loves you. Do not look at your circumstances to gauge how much God loves you. It's a faulty way to gauge God's love. It is not reliable. Believe this. Believe God's word. That you are an adopted son or daughter because you believed in His name. And if you haven't yet believed, all that means is that you say, Jesus, I... I trust you that you lived a perfect life, that you died on the cross to take my sin, and that you rose from the dead. And it is true. And I stake my life on that. I don't don't rely on my own ability or works to earn God's favor. I rely on Jesus. And if you do that, you are welcomed into the family. Well, all of this adoption, all these rights of adoption have been made possible by the baby in the manger. Which leads us to the last verse. The baby in the manger gives grace to all who believe. Verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as the, the only Son from the Father. Full of grace, unearned favor, and truth. The Word became flesh. God the Son took on human form and dwelt among us. That literally means God pitched His tent among us. He set up shop among us. I love that image. This is the same Jesus who was there from the beginning, creating all things. He condescended to human form. This is what the big word incarnation means. He, he took on flesh to come and be the light of the world to rescue us. And He didn't come as a 25-year-old man. He came as a baby dependent on a mom and a dad. J.I. Packer captures this idea in this quote. He says this about John 1.14. It is here, in the thing that happened at that first Christmas, 
that the profoundest and most unfathomable depths of the Christian revelation lie. The Word was made flesh. God became man. The Divine Son became a Jew. The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie and stare and wriggle and make noise, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. And there was no illusion or deception in this. The babyhood of the Son of God was a reality. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as the truth of the Incarnation. This is the reality. God the Father loved us so much, He sent His Son, taking on human form, being put in a little obscure town. This little light was born, and that light has spread. And because of that light, we all have hope this morning. And this baby grew up. And as he grew up, he did great miracles. He healed the sick. He casted out demons. He walked on water. Even the winds and the waves obeyed him. What was his reward? He was betrayed by one of his closest. Judas betrayed him. His other good friend Peter denied him. And he had to be wrongly accused and be on trial as a murderer. He was nailed to a cross for sins and crimes he did not commit. And he hung there and he experienced God's hatred of sin upon himself. All for us. All so that we could have hope this morning. Also that we could rejoice and say that we have a Savior who has paid for our sins, that has made it possible for us to enter into a relationship with the living God, and we will do so forever. That's the good news of Christmas. That's what we celebrate and sing about. All this was done because of what John says in verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's pray and have the band come up. Jesus, as we sing this last song, fill us with joy and adoration as we worship and praise You. Father, thank You for sending Your Son. Holy Spirit, thank You for opening our spiritually blind eyes to believe and trust in You. And Lord, I I pray for everyone here that the joy and hope of this holiday season, of this Christmas time, would all center around Jesus. And from the loneliest to, to those who have family coming in from all over, that our joy would be the same. That God became flesh and dwelt among us. Lord, we love You and we ask this in Your name. Amen.